Welcome back, listeners, to the latest edition of The New Standard. And as always, I want to welcome the co-host of the show, Neil Kulong, to the program. What's up, Big Neil? Oh, uh, you know, it is really kind of the, the kickoff part of the season for me. This, this is when every team is playing. Uh, there's a lot of stuff to do, and I have um, a bunch of administrative stuff that comes along with what I do, including overseeing the creation of the Sports Weekly document, which goes out uh, across the nation, coast to coast, giving uh, training camp updates for every team that my team writes and assembles. And um, because he's trying to actively kill me, one of the editors messed it up. So the whole thing um, will have to be redone, and it's due in three hours. Well, let's keep this brief, Chris, <laughs> and uh, let's let's get this show flowing because uh, it sounds like you have a lot of work. And make sure everybody out there that you check out everything on the Steelers Wire. I was able to uh, let my brother know about uh, the Steelers Wire or, or the Wire Network in general around the Patriot stuff, and it was the first day, first time he had seen it, and he said he really enjoyed it. So he wanted me to give you a shout out, Neil. On, on a great job that you're doing with the Patriots stuff. So, all right, Henry McKenna is our Patriots guy. He's a good one. He's a active, credentialed reporter. Check it out if you hate the Patriots because they're not as good as they used to be. Although I have a sneaking suspicion they're going to turn that around this year. But um, overall, yeah, you know, we we cover every team. We've got a good team going, and it's going to be a great year. And I want to apologize that I mentioned Patriots before I said Steelers on this podcast because I know. That is sacrilegious. But before we jump into the program, I want to make sure you can you can find the program on all podcast platforms, you know, Apple, Google, Spotify, so on and so forth. You can also find a show on YouTube. Do a search for The New Standard with my name, Lance Williams or Neil Kulong. Please link or excuse me, like and subscribe to the program. Also, big up to all the sponsors of the program. Assist the score. Nothing but Bud Butter Shop Supreme Queen. Also, a big shout out to Great Dads versus Everybody. But the title of this program is Dwayne Haskins versus Mason Rudolph, who should be the Steelers' backup quarterback. But before we jump into that, give me your game recap, Neil. Let's start on the offensive side of football. Give me some winners and losers from your perspective on the offensive side of football. The offensive side, and this this has probably been kind of said to death at this point, but I, I really like the way Dan Moore Jr., the the rookie right tackle or the rookie left tackle, he was playing left tackle, he might be moved to right tackle, uh, the rookie out of Texas A&M, uh, the way he looked, and and when I say that, I want to get over. It, we really need to be clear about this, Lance. The, the preseason is not really about results so much. It, it's how players are looking with uh, pretty clear cut. Uh, basic assignments that they're being given. What I mean by that is when you watch an offensive tackle, it's not solely whether or not he prevents a sack or he moves a guy in the run game. It's how he's coming off the ball. How do his feet look? Uh, how's he using his hands? Does he look balanced? Uh, more look really good to me. Um, I, I've, <clears throat> I'm impressed with the work that he's done. I didn't think he was um, going to be as good as he's looked uh, so far uh, in training camp in this preseason. So, for me, that, that was a lot of fun to watch. Um, I thought uh, the, the two main quarterbacks both looked pretty good. Um, I thought Rudolph did a good job with what he was asked to do, and I thought Haskins outplayed him, which is really kind of flipping those two from last week. Um, they asked uh, uh, Haskins to do a little bit more this week, I think, than they did last week, and he rose to that challenge. I, I thought he did pretty well. Uh, both of them probably wish they had a couple of those back. Um, they weren't flawless games, but – uh, pretty good. Um, solid overall. I, they got off to kind of a shaky start right away. Uh, we saw some issues on on defense amid a trade that was going down, um, something that I broke during that game. It was uh, probably the right time for something like that to come up, but the offense overall I thought did a, a pretty good job. They availed themselves well uh, as far as depth in the unit goes. People are worried about the offensive line, and perhaps rightly so. I, I don't think Joe Haig played – uh, his best game, but he hasn't been terrible. They'll get Zach Banner back, and I think the offensive line will improve overall. We saw a lot of good things from uh, the deeper offensive line uh, within this game, and overall we've seen that to this point in preseason too. So speaking of the offensive line, give me your five starters. Has anything changed 
in this preseason or during training camp to suggest that there's some major shift in the offensive line that you see in terms of the starters? Well, here's the thing with that. I, I think um, it's really hard to start a rookie on an offensive line, especially if he's not a premium guy. Uh, if he was not a first-round draft pick, a high second-round draft pick, odds are you're not getting the type of player that can just be plugged in and and dominate right away. I feel that Dan Moore Jr. fits into that, and I feel that uh, Kendrick Green probably fits into that as well after watching him play. Uh, the difference here is there's a necessity for Green to play, and there's not a necessity right. for Moore to play. I think that's the way it would fall. I think Green is going to be their center. Although I'm hearing good things about Woodbury, Minnesota product, J.C. Hassenauer. I, I, I think he's done pretty well for what they've asked him to do. Um, I think you've really got a problem, though, if Hassenauer is a legitimate starting option for you at center going into the season. Absolutely. Um, there, there are definite problems there if that's what they're looking at. So for me, left to right, um, Chuk Sikorafor is going to be their left tackle. Uh, people don't seem to, to like that a whole lot. And to, to some extent, I agree with that. But you, you really can't put – a rookie taken to the, you know, Lance, honestly, you were probably in high school the last time there was a, a rookie starter in week one taken in the fourth round at left tackle. It, just, it doesn't happen. And there's a reason that it doesn't happen. Barring injury, um, Chooks is, is just the more experienced player. Uh, they know what they're getting more from him. He's the right guy to go with, at, at least initially. And that doesn't take away anything from more. Uh, it's just one of those positions that was set when, when they kept him. Um, Otherwise, if, if they were worried about it, they would have invested more than, than Joe Haig in free agency, and they probably would have drafted a, a tackle higher than they did, a guy that they wanted to play. Um, it, uh, left guard, I, it, it's always been Kevin Dotson. Um, you know Mike Tomlin. He, he's not just going to give right. a starting job to a young player. And the fact that Steeler Nation seems to be convulsing with rage over the fact that he's not – written down on a piece of paper as the starter at this point in the season. It's just, it, it's funny to me simply because everyone's ragging about how bad this offensive line is anyway. Why, what he's, he's the savior of it. Is that what you're telling me? Absolutely. No, he needs, he needs to him, earn it. PFF gave him a 95 grade. So of course yeah, he's yeah, that must make him, you know, a, a functional player within the group that he's in to a point where he can miss half of training camp and just take the job. Right. I and mean, that's, it's nonsense. Make him earn it, okay? He has not earned it. In six games, I don't give a frog's fat ass what his PFF grade was, okay? Six games. He didn't earn anything. Make him earn it. He's going to. He needs to get on the field. He's on the field now. He's running with the ones today from what I saw. That's good. Good. We're happy about that. Kendrick Green is probably your starting center. Um, I'm a little concerned with that. I, I thought I'd see a little bit more out of him, but to be fair – they're not running zone a whole lot. Uh, some inside zone stuff. That's going to be his where he eats. You know, let me, he, he's, you, let me ask you on Green one particular play in general when he got uh, when he got moved pretty easily. Yeah, that was um, bad. And got lifted <laughs> and raised into the feet of the quarterback and really got moved like a tackling sled. And by the way, Neil, stop putting uh, bad visuals in my head about a frog's fat ass i mean i've never thought <laughs> of a frog having a ass in general and a fat sounds fat. good though right i'm, it I'm, a, good. I'm a literary frog's guy fat. yes exist frog's fat ass i'm surprised you got that out so crisply i'm impressed with that but i was a little concerned about that play that he got moved so easily you have any issues with his ability to anchor um, you're definitely going to have an issue with a, a rookie third round draft pick when it comes to anchoring a, a, a bull rush like that. Um, that play, you got to keep in mind too, and that this this is stuff that you don't see unless the quarterback gets sacked, and then people tend to freak out over it. The depth of the quarterback's drop does Absolutely. affect what the offensive lineman is doing. Now, if he's getting bull rushed, he's really kind of standing in the way if it's a deeper drop because it's a long way for the guy to go back. And if, if the ball is coming out on time over the middle, right. they're going to push back uh, uh, more to clear up that passing lane. If Rudolph is dropping a little bit deeper, like I think that he was from my memory on that play, you can get away with that a little bit. But the problem is you had a complete failure on the right side of the of the, the offensive line. Joe, Hay I'm not sure what Joe Haig did on that play, but I, I promise you he did not get a high grade for it from, from the coaching staff. Uh, he got beat bad, and that accentuated Green not really being able to, to handle at the point of attack. Um, 
it's not easy to stop defensive linemen from pushing forward. It's not like Morkey's Pouncey or Mike Webster or anybody stands a guy up and just doesn't let him move. They're 350 pounds. They tend to be more athletic than NFL centers are. You can't just you know stop them where they stand. So they're going to get push on that. Uh, that said, Green, I, I thought Green got up a little bit too high, yeah, and that, that's that's what kind of did it. Uh, it shouldn't have been as bad though. Haig's loss was was the major one on that play, and that was a that was a bad rap for for those two. And I think Chooks got beat pretty bad on that as well. You couldn't see it from the camera angle um, as as well, but I, Chooks didn't seem to be in the position he needed to be in uh, for that play either. It was it, it was a failure, you know. Frankly, Lance, we're going to see that this season. That's going to come right. up. This right. is not a good offensive line. Um, fans can can talk themselves into that as much as they want. It's not going to be a good line. Um, they put this together to build and to grow. Uh, I think they'll do that. We've, we've seen some good things. We really have. But we're going to see plays like that as well. I think your your observation with Chucks, one thing I would like to add in terms of Chucks or Chooks a core for is, you know, you don't start a rookie at left tackle uh, when you have a quarterback going in a year, what, 18, 19, um, who, who's not really mobile anymore. Um, needless to say, and that's probably being kind to Ben. When I say not being very mobile, I should say not being mobile at all. <laughs> um, you just don't put a a, a rookie uh, tackle there to protect his blind side. And if, if he's if he's seventh overall, if he's Penny Sewell, yeah. okay, but yeah, yeah. not Dan Moore Jr. out of Texas A and M, who nobody's heard of. Right. Uh, that, that's that's not your starting left tackle in week one. You just you can't do it. I, I like his game though. I like where he's going. Um, Again, it, rookies don't need to start because they're rookies. You know, let, it's, let's stop trying to choose the devil we don't know over the one that we do. Right. It's just it, you can't coach that well. They're rookies. They need to be brought on unless it's a situation where they were drafted specifically to start, which I believe was Kendrick Green, my opinion. Um, and you're going to see probably pretty early on, like we saw in that game, what we just talked about, uh, why that's a pretty tough thing to do. You certainly aren't going to bring two of them on. Uh, your offensive line uh, when when the the premium position was drafted after the guy that you're starting at center you're not going to put him at left tackle in, in week one if you have a choice it is it, it was never really a competition I like where Moore is going I would say right now Moore is probably your your uh, your two left tackle and that's pretty nice how Steelers is that though your your left tackle is going to be a fourth round draft pick in his second year and he will be the highest Steelers left tackle drafted by them since Mike Adams, we all know yeah. how that how well that yeah, turned out. That went, yeah. They just they they don't put premium picks into that position for whatever reason, but they always find guys that can play uh, to to some degree. And so I'm assuming on the right side it's going to be Turner and Banner. And I want to speak to your your what you just said about uncertainty. And that's one thing I used to say a lot of times on my old program is that as a coach on any level. You know, one of the things you're trying to do is minimize uncertainty. You're trying to um, the one thing that 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 gives you, you know, a lot of pause and a lot of worry and concern is uncertainty. Uh, you can coach around what you think you're going to get and you can coach around what you're not going to get. What you can't coach around is uncertainty. And you're getting this variability and this high level of random output snap per snap. You can't coach around that. You can't game plan around that. Let's switch to the defensive side of football. Um, any issues you saw, what you liked, winners, losers, what's your thoughts? <laughs> there were some issues on defense for sure. Um, <laughs> the the Joe Schobert trade. Well, let's 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 I, it, it plays into this. Yes, but let's just talk it, about the issues you saw in I know, the game, it, and then we'll go back to that. It's the fact that the trade was going on as Devin Bush gave up two completions. Robert Spillane gave up a completion. They were completing passes all over the field, um, and that, that inside linebacker position was not tackling for anything. Um, my opinion, to, to this point, Buddy Johnson is the only inside linebacker who's played well. So the fact that this trade is is in the process of being consummated while the Steelers inside linebackers are again getting ridden hard and put away wet during the the first drive of the game, uh, there, there's a problem there. Um, I think it, it's it's a move that you could argue would have been made anyway, but we are not seeing Devin Bush play well. 
we definitely did not see Robert Spillane play well. I like what we're seeing out of Buddy Johnson, but he's not being used with the ones at this point. So for what they have, um, their inside linebackers and coverage in particular have been pretty bad through through two preseason games. Um, again, you're not scheming. Um, a lot of this stuff, I think, the rollout, the drag, the Y League types of plays, I don't know how, how viable those really are as far as defending them, because they're hard to defend against unless you have a scheme for it. Um, it. It's hard to put a whole lot on them, but we haven't seen Devin Bush anywhere close to a play um, in, in the, granted the, the little amount of time that he's had. Uh, Spillane is who I was meaning to say with that. He hasn't been close to making a play yet. Um, he doesn't look good. With that, I think we're seeing a major problem with, with the defense. Now, you and I, along with everybody else, has has expressed an issue with uh, the the secondary, the cornerbacks in particular. That hasn't been nearly as big a problem in, in my mind. And we saw the, the rookie Jalen Rager uh, put a pretty good beating on Cam Sutton and at least two routes I, I saw. Yeah, that yeah. kid looks good, by the way. Um, I was impressed with Claypool last year as a second-round guy. Rager, Rager looks really good. Um, I'm going to say one thing, and, and I want you to explain it more and get a little more in-depth on it. And I'm just going to say it very simply for the listeners. If you can't defend inside the numbers, or it's more specifically like inside the numbers and the hashes, you're you're not going to be a good defense. Um, and I think you're speaking to that when you talk about the inside linebacker. Speak to the vulnerability from a defensive perspective if you can't defend inside the hashes or inside the numbers, if you're unable to do anything with the middle of the field, you're unable to defend the highest percentage plays that you can run. Bingo. Um, if you're a quarterback and I know this Lance, because I was a bad high school quarterback, your easiest throws are the ones that you set your feet straight back yep. and throw straight. Exactly. Um, it, it, you have to understand that the, the physics on the field Throws to the sidelines are twice as long as ones down to the middle, Absolutely. regardless of how long they, they go on the field. The throws are, are much longer. Therefore, the, the defense has a much uh, uh, they have a lot more time to adjust to it, to see it, to attack it. Throwing across the middle on a quick slant or something is it's rhythm to the quarterback. There, there's a better chance of an NFL quarterback hitting the center in the back of the helmet than, than missing that throw consistently. If you can't defend that guy over the middle, they're going to take 40 yards on you on the three easiest plays that you're going to run all game. Um, you need to be able to defend that. Conversely, it sucks because the linebackers are, are covering that from uh, if, if they get stuck in man, which we've seen a couple times, uh, they're having to cover a running back who's faster than them, a receiver who's a considerably better athlete than them and faster than them, or a tight end who's probably a lot bigger than them. So they're at a disadvantage with pretty much anybody that they'll go up against on the field in a, a, a crossing pattern, a mesh route, that sort of concept. You're, you're going to see them um, at a disadvantage in coverage. And frankly, linebacker is Latin for disadvantage in coverage. They're not going to be good uh, uh, man cover guys. And everyone freaks out about that. How, you know, you need to be able to do this and that. It's like, yeah, but you look at the guys who are doing it. They're the ones that just got paid 18 to $20 million a year. You know, you don't necessarily have that throughout your roster. Robert Spillane cannot cover guys underneath in man. He just can't. Okay. They need to be in zone and they're probably in a zone anyway. Um, if, if those routes are present, they're going to switch into zone. So they don't necessarily have to cover them just because though we see Robert Spillane chasing a running back across the field. Doesn't mean that that's him in, in coverage. It doesn't mean that that's his man and they are in man coverage. What it means is there's a hole somewhere in that defense that they found and the quarterback gets the easiest throw he's going to make and he's probably going to run for more yards. Look at it like that too. Um, when you're at the middle of the field like that, your tacklers are behind you. The, the guys at the tackle, your linebackers, who make 70% of the tackles on the field, they're behind the ball carrier already and they're, they're going to have to catch up to – uh, a, a much faster player most of the time and your cornerbacks and, and probably your safeties who are your second in line to tackle in the back seven uh, are probably funneled uh, toward the middle of the field, 10, 15 yards away. So there's a long way for either side to go on that middle completion. In other words, these are a pretty much guaranteed yard after catch. 
Um, the Steelers tend to put enough of a cushion in to not get beat deep and be able to attack downhill Tough. when the guy catches the yeah. ball. Tackle the catch. Um, I know how much people love hearing that. There is a, a, a certain wisdom to that because yeah, dinking absolutely. and dunking down the field, it, it opens up a lot more. When you have a great pass rush like the Steelers do, you might run into problems. Um, it, it wasn't a complicated play that Mason Rudolph was running on third and seven when he got sacked because uh, Joe Haig had a mental collapse or whatever happened to him, and Kendrick Green got walked back into him. Um, the more you throw, the more you're going to get sacked, obviously. So, yeah, and it's percentages. You can't you can't live on 12, 14 play drives. It's right. Just, it's, it's just you're not going to get five of those in a game, and if you are, yeah. it doesn't matter. You're you're way better yeah. than that team is anyway. So <clears throat> you you put all that together, the underneath stuff is what they're going to give up. It, be, it largely because, in in my opinion, it's probably at that level, it's probably the hardest thing to take away. Um, yeah, You're seeing the tight impossible. ends get better and better. Yeah. Uh, running backs are basically are slot receivers nowadays. They, they need to be able to catch the ball well um, in that space. That's the area that they want to attack because it's possession. You know, these are, are high percentage completion passes. They're, they're basically running plays in, in, in design. Um, no penalties. Don't screw this up. Don't hold anybody. You don't need to block much. He's going to go over the middle. We're going to throw over the top to him. So, and defense largely has become defending the go zone or, or, or the 30 yards to the end zone or 20 yards to the end zone, either way, depending yeah. on how teams look at it. That That's kind of how defense has become. The field is compressed. You have an end zone. You have a back of your defense that you know you can't go further than. So you can kind of compress and squeeze offenses in, into this very tight rectangle. The last thing about the game, and I'm sorry, listeners, that we're getting to the main topic kind of late in the program. Is there a battle for the punter position? Uh, no, no. You don't draft a punter um, and, and cut him. Um, I say that with caution because, yes, I'm aware the team drafted a long snapper and they cut him. <laughs> so that, though, is definitely outside the norm, um, not to mention the fact you saw that kid punt. Um, oh, man, he's punting his ass off. He's, he's making the team. <laughs> okay. <laughs> There's not much of a question anyway. Can he hold, Can he hold as well? Uh, that That's the question with him, and that's fair. Um, you, you have to look at it like that. Yes, a punter's job is primarily to punt, but there's a lot more that goes on with, with the clean execution that we take for granted. Uh, a large part of that is your holder needs to be really, really good, and that's not an easy job. Um, you are the last line of defense – for complete disaster. Um, holding on on field goals, extra point, things like that in the AFC North, where you're going to be playing in cold weather and wind and everything, um, you've got to be really good at that. And on top of it, your kicker needs to trust you. The kicker needs to, to be completely locked into what's going on and not see anything weird. You know, I, that, that, that might... I probably didn't say that right, but if the snapper does different things that are outside of what's normal just to get the ball down, the kicker's going to get distracted. They need to be locked into what they're doing. He needs to be able to hold at that high level. That Barry, you know, is. Um, Barry's very experienced with it. Uh, he's had a lot of work with it. He won the job because he could hold. You remember back in the day when they, they traded um, Brad Wing to the Giants in, in 2015, after they had brought Barry on, one, they, they were able to get an asset for wing, which was good because they'd need it for the three kickers that they ended up bringing in that season. Um, but if, if Barry came in, punted well, and couldn't hold, they wouldn't have done that deal. So uh, in my opinion, yes, they as, as Devin here is asking, they can keep two punters. You don't keep two punters. I mean, there's no point. Um, yeah. it, it's it, it, there's there's no way in my mind that not starving is is not going to get the job. Um, I I think they drafted him to do that. I think he's really good from what we saw, and I hope he is really working hard on the holding aspect of the game because that's going to be the the point of of critical importance in my opinion, for, for him. He's going to be able to kick the ball pretty well. You know, we're not worried about that. Physically, it's obvious that he can get the job done. He looks good doing it, too. He doesn't, you know, there are a lot of guys who can kick the ball really high, but if you don't have the technique down, uh, you're not going to be able to do it consistently. You're not going to be able to stay healthy. You're not going to be able to... Um, it, you have to do things a certain way at that level. Otherwise, your your mistakes are going to be 
magnified and he does everything well from, from what I see. I'm not a punting expert, but I know enough about it to say that he, his technique is very good for, for who he is. I'm surprised we didn't hear more about him, to be honest. Um, I, I think his, probably his size is, is more off putting. He doesn't look long and flexible. Punters are, if you ask any, uh, pro football player punters are going to they're going to tell you usually the punter who's on the team is is very athletic he's not going to look like a defensive back but he's a very athletic guy uh punting is an athletic achievement harvin looks like a a big dude harvin looks like a a bowling ball you know old school fullback middle linebacker type of guy he doesn't look like a punter he doesn't look very long um but he's got that range of his leg he's got the, the the foot movement that you need to be able to do that well uh, he's going to be really good. Uh, they need him to hold, though. That, that's It's an excellent observation. So before we get into the main topic of the program, answer this real quickly, and or I'll, I'll just say I don't think Ben needs to play this preseason. I don't think it's a big issue. I think they can uh, manage whatever he needs to do and, and deal with that in training camp. And I, I think more important than him necessarily playing in preseason, from my opinion, is keeping his arm fresh, keeping him healthy, as opposed to taking preseason snaps. What's your thoughts on Ben? Should he play this preseason? Ben doesn't need to play. Um, preseason is not the warm-up that people think that it is. Um, ben doesn't need that. It, it's not as if Ben's not in camp. He's there throwing passes to him right now. It, it, he's getting his work in. Um, yeah, he's not running on the sidelines. Yeah, exactly. That's you know, He's not getting hit. But hint, hint, he's hint, doing hint. what he's supposed to be doing. You know, hint, there's not a hint, hint, hint. there's not a quiet thing going on here that no, absolutely that's, is not a problem for anybody, according to Steelers fans. It's all the, it's all the media. Quiet, the, the, yeah. the, only the media have made a thing about this. Only the media. Hint, yep. Hint. Okay. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. Ben, oh, ben doesn't need it, and frankly, I, I think that uh, Haskins and Rudolph do. I, I think it's going to benefit them. I think both of them look pretty solid. I think they both look better than they did in the first game. Um, not that either of them look bad necessarily, but they need those reps. They need that live action. Um, Rudolph in particular, I think they need to see him within that offense to get a sense of who he is and and what they're going to do with him. And that's a great segue into the main topic of the program, Dwayne Haskins versus Mason Rudolph. And big up to 27 Sin City because I did spell Haskins' name right. That was wrong. Excuse me. That was a great catch. I I, I fixed that on the fly. So thank you to 27 Sin City. And I'm going to just say it right now. I think I know what the Steelers are going to do, and that's Haskins will be the starter next year. Rudolph will be the number two this year barring something really weird happening. And I know we asked this question on an earlier podcast. Is the Steelers' future starting quarterback on the roster? And I'm going to answer that question emphatically yes. I've seen enough from Haskins to be comfortable with him being the two. Because at that point, if Haskins or Rudolph is playing, your season pretty much is over. Right. I mean, I've predicted them to go seven and 10. Yes, I said seven and 10 anyway. So if either one of them have to play for a prolonged stretch, and I'm defining that as four games or more, your season is over anyway. So at that point, you might as well rip the bandaid off and let's get to this next thing quickly. I don't think anyone can argue to me that Mason Rudolph is the future quarterback of the Pittsburgh Steelers. I've seen enough. I've seen enough. I don't want to go see that sequel again. Haskins being brought in, we talked about it, and it's weird how everyone kind of jumped on it after we talked about it. We saw the clear intent here. You're getting a first-round draft pick with that type of pedigree on the cheap. You're going to see it, and they're doing more than kicking the tires. They're kicking the tires with two feet and probably hitting the tires with a bat as well. They're definitely trying to see if Haskins can be the future quarterback and starter of the Pittsburgh Steelers I think he will be the starters and I'm just going to go out on a limb and say I think he should be the two but I don't think he will be the two because of Mason's Rudolph's they have more trust with Mason Rudolph they've seen more 
uh, and they think that Mason is a stabilizer, more of a stabilizer than Haskins. Haskins has more volatility, more upside. But at that point, if either one of those guys are playing, your season's done anyway. In my opinion, you should go with Haskins to be the two and, and just get this moving towards the future of what the quarterback's going to be for the Pittsburgh Steelers. What's your thought on this battle, Haskins versus Rudolph? Is it a battle? And who should be the Steelers' backup quarterback, in your opinion? Um, here's the thing. I think we're having difficulties separating this year's situation from next year's situation. Facts. Here's here's the variable we're not considering. Where is Dwayne Haskins, go, Haskins going to be after another training camp, another three preseason games? Where, where is he going to be after a year of continuing to develop as this offense grows into what it's going to be? Um, I'm not going to sit here and act like I'm a quarterback expert and throw out a bunch of, pardon the language, but bullshit terminology that, that doesn't matter when you're watching these guys play in, in preseason action. What we know about Dwayne Haskins is the kid's got an arm, okay? He can sling. That has more value than just about anything else that you can measure on a football field if you're looking at long-term projection. Mason Rudolph, he's got guts. I'll give him that. He, he, he likes going downfield. He wants to find guys downfield. He threw a couple really nice passes. I like what I see with that. He does not have Haskins' arm, not even close. So that in and of itself, to me, says – Here's the foundation. This is the guy that you're building on. That does not mean Haskins is going to be the guy this season. And that does not mean he's not going to be the guy next season. Haskins doesn't have the experience within the offense that Rudolph does. As far as being on a, a football field, they're probably about equal. I mean, their stats are almost identical. I and mean, the amount of time that they've played is very similar. So the pedigree part is in there, but we don't want to put the cart in front of the horse here. Okay. The reason Haskins was taken in the first round is because the dude's got a hose. Okay. It's not, it, it doesn't have anything really more to do with that. He's not mobile. Don't tell me he's mobile. We're not going to get into a conversation about who's more mobile between Mason Rudolph and, and Dwayne Haskins. Cause Lance, you and I might as well be talking about which one of us is more mobile. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. That's not going to affect their game. It's not a strength. It's not a tiebreaker. They they're they're D's in both of those categories, both of them. They're they're not getting anything yeah. from that. Haskins can throw the ball hard, accurately down the field. Rudolph, not a bad thrower, but not a great one either. So in my mind, long term, it's Haskins easily, and it probably should be. And I think the Steelers are aware of that as well. To cut Haskins next, or to excuse me, to cut Rudolph next year on the the quote unquote extension that he got, which is like. Three million bucks next year. Shut up. Leave us alone about it. Okay. We're going to let you compete for the job next year. I will also add this seven and 10. I'm not exactly sure the way the NFL is going to fall with, with the new game, the, the game that's coming in is seven and 10 more seven and nine, or is it more six and 10? We're not sure. Um, I think it's probably going to be worse than it is good, which is to say, that pick at seven and ten is probably going to be 12, 13, 14, okay, somewhere in there. Yeah. So in in my mind, that's the range where you're getting a, a, a better product than Haskins. Maybe you can find a quarterback that's mobile. Um until the the Schobert trade, you, you had some assets out there that maybe you could have packaged to move up if, if you wanted to. And there are a couple really good college quarterbacks coming out. I, I think it's going to be a six quarterback first round. It wouldn't surprise me at all if it was. Um, in a six, in a five quarterback round, you get Justin Fields at 11, you get Mac Jones at 15. Those are two good quarterbacks. In my opinion, those are two They're for where they are to be rookies. Those guys are guys that you'd like to have on your team. I think for me right now, I'd rather have either of those two than Dwayne Haskins next year. That that's just hmm. me. I think in a way the next long-term quarterback is not currently on the roster. I would not be surprised if Dwayne Haskins is the starter next year, Rudolph backing him up, and a rookie that they're going to bring along slowly and and draw the absolute ire of the entire fan base, freaking out over why the rookie isn't starting. I think they'll put him at the back of the line and really try to develop him and, and slow play the sexy tanking. I, I think that's part of the equation for, for next year. That's just me, though. Um, Haskins, I think, is next year. Rudolph is going to be this year. I think you make a great point. If you think it's a five, 
to six quarterback first round draft, given the value of a quarterback and having a quarterback under under contract, a rookie quarterback that's good under contract for three to four years is invaluable to your team. And even if you have a Haskins as your starter who was a former first rounder, you still take that next guy, that next first rounder who has physical attributes in terms of throwing a football like Haskins, but also has uh, the ability to make plays with his leg like a Justin Fields or a Trey Lance. You put a physical – if you can draft a player with the physical characteristics of both of those players and put that player on your roster, then it's a wealth of riches. You're, 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 you're playing a first-rounder, and then you're hoping that the first-rounder that you draft you can bring along. That's an interesting perspective there. And speaking of Joe Schobert and speaking of the trade for Joe Schobert, that's the big thing that happened over the course of the game, and we alluded to that in the program. Let me read something to you um, that was written by um, Dale Lolly, and he wrote uh, Dale Lolly. I think um, is Dale Lolly still with the Athletic, or Dale Lolly is? I forget where Dale uh, Lolly is. Lolly's with DK. Okay, that's right. Lies with DK Pittsburgh. Uh, and, and Lolly wrote the following. In the last six weeks, the Steelers added former Pro Bowl guard Trey Turner, former Pro Bowl outside linebacker Melvin Ingram, and former Pro Bowl inside linebacker Joe Schobert. The cost against this year's cap is $10.36 million, and it cost the team a sixth-round draft pick in 2020. That's doing pretty well. Speak to just how well uh, Kevin Colbert has done with those deals. And when I saw it written, I was like, wow, that's a coup to be able to get three former Pro Bowl guys, only cost you 10.36 on your cap, and you're only giving, a, giving up a six-round cap, uh, a draft pick. That, I think that speaks to just how good Kevin Colbert is as a GM. Just speak to that before we jump into the dynamics of why they got Schobert. Who are the three players again? Schobert, Ingram, who was the third one? And Trey Turner. And Turner at three, Ingram at four. Um, they, they against show. against the cap, it's even less than that. Um, the, the, and that's, yeah, that's probably. I don't know Schobert when Lolly wrote what he wrote. Schobert, yeah. they they restructured his contract on top of Jacksonville paying for half of it. He's only going to count like 1.3, 1.4 against the cap. Yeah, so so it's four for better. Turner and three for Ingram. You're looking at eight and change uh, for three starter caliber players two definite starters on the field all the time and one that's going to play a lot so yeah i i agree a thousand percent we, we talked up and down the offseason um free agency was going to be a very very heavy buyer's market one of the largest buyer's markets that, that we've seen as far as the price goes it wasn't going to be at the top though it's not about the money that bud dupree got at the top of the market it's the fact that melvin ingram who to be honest with you, over his career, snap for snap, I don't think he's even worse than Bud Dupree. But he's leveraged. In a, a, a down cap year, you can get him for $4 million. Um, Trey Turner needs a shot. He needed a place to start. It's a match made in heaven. Got him for $3 bucks because it's a down market. There, there's not much that they can do as players, uh, especially signing later. It wasn't going to be about the beginning of free agency. It was going to be about the end. And that's where Colbert has been. Colbert's eating on this, and it, it looks pretty good. I mean, it, it Schobert, Schobert didn't look real good in Jacksonville. Um, let's be honest, though. Nobody looked good in Jacksonville last year. That's why they had the top pick. They, they weren't a good team. Um, he looked good in Cleveland. He was a solid player. <clears throat> I think he fits well <clears throat> Excuse me for what the Steelers do defensively. That's a better fit for him probably than what Urban Meyer is going to do uh, down in Jacksonville. So Jacksonville doesn't want to pay him. Um, they can get rid of him for half and get a pick. Smart move for both teams, in my opinion. Uh, the Steelers have a better chance of winning the trade than Jacksonville does, but uh, good good for them. They're going to pay the money for it, and they're cutting their cap down. So in, in my mind, they did exactly what they needed to do, and I think this was all part of a plan. I also don't think that they're done yet either because this is a team that, like clockwork, goes into a season with four, five, six million dollars in cap space. They have like nine now something nine, 10, somewhere in there. I don't know what the official number is going to be, but they have uh, the space to still make that TJ Watt deal. Now, are they going to whole other set of, of circumstances that come with that? But as far as what they've done, Robert Spillane, as we saw many times 
was not going to get the job done as a three down linebacker. They needed to scheme around him. Um, he was a liability in the pass game in, in many ways. Yes, I know Lamar Jackson didn't see him and threw right to him and they got a pick six and won that game by uh, the, the measure of that touchdown. That was great, but that's not going to happen again. <laughs> okay. He's not going to make plays on the ball in the air. He can't cover anybody. Um, Schobert's able to do that. Schobert is a, a reasonable, if not a good, cover linebacker. Um, Bush, I've talked about this on, on this program before as well. He's not going to be 100% most of this season, in my opinion. For him to get to the level that made him the, the 10th overall pick, that makes him a special player, he's going to need a year of, of recovery. He can get out on the field. He's not going to be right. And frankly, we haven't seen him right. So really, I think Schobert's even more important than we think that he is. And here's the thing to that, Neil, and I've had uh, my cousin who's a, a MD has explained to me, and, and, and she talked about that for for him, for Bush, it's not physical at this point. You know, she's already said he's he's physically right. His body just isn't convinced that he's physically right. And so he, he his body is fighting against itself from like an unconscious psychological perspective, like his body is just not ready to let itself go and really go full bore. There are some dampers mentally probably on, on his body. And it, and she said, basically, it just takes a while. You almost have to psych out your body to tell your body that you're ready. Although your body is physically ready, it still kind of doesn't think so. So unconsciously, it's trying to protect itself so you don't get injured again. So it's it's a confidence thing. It's a mental thing. It's a lot of different things going on with him where physically he's right. It's just the whole thing together he isn't. So I'm assuming Schobert's going to start. You don't make this move if he's not going to start. We talked about this weekend about the Buck and Mack linebacker positions. And you were talking about how you don't even know if the Steelers used that terminology before, but for kicks and giggles, what's the buck and the Mac and what linebacker plays, which after this trade, um, I, I think the best way to describe a buck linebacker is kind of your, your stereotypical four, three defense, middle linebacker. That that's kind of your captain. Um, he's the banger inside. He's covering the two gaps uh, in, in run support. Now, this I should, probably should have started with this. The, the biggest issue with old terminology is it's set in a game in which there's a fullback on the field and teams run the ball a lot. Fact. They don't. Neither of those things exist today. So the designation of what you'd call a buck, why you'd call it a buck linebacker, doesn't really exist as much. It's more or less they're lining up with the fullback. Um, there's not a fullback on the field. Even if they have two running backs, it's not, it, it's an H back. It's not a fullback. So um, those gaps are covered one way or another by a multitude of different players. Nowadays, the safeties are, are dropping down a lot more. Uh, it, it, it's just different, but I, I would say this primarily speaking, you still need an a gap linebacker um, in my mind. That's the position that needs to make the calls. That's the position that makes the adjustments, that that alerts blocking assignment changes, things like that. I would think that would be Devin Bush, mostly because Schobert would have a week to figure out what's going on in the entire defense. I don't necessarily think he's going to be ready to do that. Uh, on top of that, I don't think Schobert is bad in space either because your Mac linebacker would fit more with kind of what a, a 4-3 outside linebacker would be, a, a will linebacker. Um, the, the weak side, the pursuer, the guy that that runs down the line. Um, Schobert is not the athlete that Bush is when Bush is 100% ready. Your point's well taken as far as, as him uh, mentally getting over his injury. That, that, that's a big thing. You'll hear trainers talk about that a lot. Um, for what they're doing today, I think the best thing would be to bring – uh, Bush in uh, it, as as that center point like he has been, and Schobert probably taking on more of the roles of, of a weak side backer. But I don't think that necessarily needs to be set in stone where we are today. I think Schobert, um, it, Schobert played on the inside in similar defense in Cleveland when Cleveland was running that when he had his had his success. Uh, he played a lot in coverage as well as you know banging in between the tackles. So it, it, he's a guy that could project at either one. I would think where they are today, uh, Bush Bush would be the better option for that that uh, banging inside Buck linebacker more so than the Mac. 
uh, if they're doing that. And I, I really couldn't tell you because it, it's going to be a, a, an assignment to assignment thing. Right. And the Steelers are doing the Steelers are doing a ton defensively with only one linebacker on the field anyway. And my guess would be if they wanted one today, it'd be Bush. I'm not 100% sure that's going to be his role all season long. He's going to need to get over a lot of things. He's going to need to get a lot better. Um, I, I'm going to guess Schobert's a better cover linebacker than Bush is today. I don't think the Steelers want that. I, I, I don't. I also don't think that they can deal with it uh, the way that they would want to. So something had to change. They brought in a, a good player at less of a cap, ironically, than what they cut from Vince Williams uh, right, b- right. before Vince signed back and then retired. So uh, another angle of the trade to look at. The Steelers profited on that and got a better player in, in yes, 2021 yes. than they would have had. So um, there's value to it. I think it's a good problem to have. I think they could do a couple of different things uh, with both of them because Bush could play either one, to be honest. Uh, when when Bush is right, when Bush is, is where – they're projecting him to be. He could definitely play either one of those spots, and he would definitely be the the, the nickel line or the dime linebacker if if they're running defense like that. Great transition and segue to that, and I think you're right. Also, from a compensation standpoint, you get a cheaper player and a better player with Schobert, and I could see Schobert being on the Steelers for the next couple of years because he's still relatively young. But I love the way you transition to sub package defense. What does it look like? How, how are Steelers going to deploy these linebackers with Schobert and Bush um, in, in terms of dime or nickel? Uh, will they keep those two guys on the field? What do you envision when they go to subs? Um, it's, it's funny because this dovetails into everything that we talked about with Melvin Ingram. Um, that's the role I saw him possibly playing um, in, in bigger nickel package situations. Yeah. They, they can get really creative – with the tools that they have in their front seven now, Spillane uh, really—I'm—I'm I'm ripping on the poor kid today way too much. He's—he's <laughs> he's doing his best, you know. He, he people mentioned pedigree in the comments earlier about Haskins. I think uh, Spillane has zero pedigree. I don't think Spillane—I don't think anybody on the team has less of a pedigree than Spillane does. But um, carved himself out a, a, a reasonable spot. I, I don't want to downplay everything that he's done, but. He's a completely minimal player. I mean, he just he has no versatility. There's nothing you can do with him. He's he's a, a substandard athlete. Schobert fills that hole. Their front seven is really deep and it's really versatile. There's yeah, a lot of things they say. can yeah, do. I mean, so I would say this. I don't know what they're going to do. I don't think there's anything that they couldn't do with what they have now out of the things that they do. So Ingram probably not going to be your coverage guy. But Ingram can attack the A-gap in a way that Bush and, and Schobert can't. Ingram's huge, and he's very, very strong. Um, he's done that with some success. I said in the beginning, I, I really could see him in a, a, a sub-package role inside, something that they did with Bud Dupree um, back in, in Dupree's day here. Last two years, at least, he would sit over the A-gap in, in long passing down sometimes we, with mobile quarterbacks. We saw that. I think Ingram could do that. Um, it doesn't mean Schobert couldn't. Um, it, it does mean, though, that you can get really big in third and five situations against a team like Baltimore that can run anywhere on the field, not any down. You can still get big up front to, to take on um, mobile guards and to cut off uh, running lanes for a very good running quarterback while still being able to cover down the field. So I think the, the versatility um, as a unit that they now have they're, they're going to have a lot of fun with that. I think we're going to see a lot of different things out of all of them. Um, I, I couldn't tell you today what they're going to do, just simply because I, I think they could do whatever they want. I mean, there's a lot of different things they could do with that. I mean, I think you're, I think you hit it on the head when you look at the versatility. You could see 2-4-5. You could see 3-3-5. Three, three, I mean, you could see a lot of different things. I think with what you're saying, I think, you know, if Bush is right, and I think he will be right, I think he'll play his, himself into being right hopefully if he does not get injured i i think schobert and bush will be the every down guys they i think they won't come off the field in any way that you align it or any way or or any way that you try to put or deploy it i think those two backers will always be on the field i think you'll see some rotation with the outside linebackers you know you'll see Watt ingram sometimes uh some guy will come off the field in terms of the outside linebackers but I think those two guys uh, will stay on the field. I think it's a great trade 
uh, for the Steelers. And, and I think it comes back to the point we talked about sexy tanking. You know, are the Steelers still sexy tanking when they make a move like this? I, I would say yes, still, because from the compensation perspective, there's no way that you couldn't do it. You know, given that they got Jacksonville to take some back and they really got the better player from Vince Williams, uh, you know, at this type of price. I think this is a move that you I think it's sort of outside of sexy tanking. I think they're still sexy tanking, but this is a move that you just could not not do. Hate the double negative. What's your thoughts in terms of sexy tanking and getting a Joe Sherbert? Does a team who's sexy tanking make this type of move? Or are the Steelers still in it uh, full throttle to try to get this seventh championship this year? Did you call him Joe Sherbert? <laughs> we're we're going to no, hear that a lot, aren't we? <laughs> no, it's Sherbert. Yeah, I said Sherbert, but, you know, my accent. Schubert is what I heard the first time from Schubert, somebody Schubert. in local media here. Somebody said Schubert. I was just like, oh, boy, you have no idea who he is, dude. Um, sexy tanking with this move, it, it's pretty much impossible to say – uh, this would have anything to do with that because, frankly, I think the sexiest tanker they would have would be putting Bob Spillane on the field for 45, 50 snaps a game. Um, Schilbert, Schilbert will let them be maybe the best front seven in the NFL, uh, certainly one of them. They're now deep there. Um, they're going to be a load defensively. Um, I think it doesn't address – where their real problem is going to be. It's going to be on offense. But here's how I would challenge that if if, if I was speaking against myself. Um, sometimes in the NFL, you win by just doing what you do the best, better and better. Uh, if that's your fastball, that's your fastball and you throw it. You know, Sometimes you don't have a, a, a third pitch. This is what you have and you go with it. Um, that said, I think it, it's really it's a move of opportunity. You know, you got to look at this from yeah, Jacksonville's so. perspective. Their main purpose in this is shedding the contract of a player that doesn't fit in with them anymore. The previous regime signed him to the deal. He's on year two of a five-year deal. He gets more expensive beyond this. His contract is guaranteed this year. So they're paying something, okay? It, it's not a question of come take this off the books. The Steelers can say, well – do you want to pay three and a half or do you want to pay not, pay seven? The choice is yours. We're giving you a pick. So pay half of it, take our pick. We'll take his contract, not just this year, but next year as well. Jacksonville's looking at it that way. That's completely different than how, how the Steelers are evaluating that same type of deal. They would do something similar. If, if it was a player that wasn't going to fit, we don't know this in Pittsburgh. And as fans, we don't see this from our team's perspective because we haven't changed over a, a head coach or a, a, a general manager. So we don't have any idea what it's like to have a contract that the new coaching staff doesn't want anymore. Right. Um, I think honestly, it's, it's a move of opportunity. I wouldn't say that Schobert's guaranteed to be on the team next year um, with the, the contract restructure today that we heard about uh, his cap numbers over nine. I'm not, you know, I'm not saying take the guy for one year and dump him, but that's not the easiest contract to take on. Um, when you've got Devin Bush, you're paying Minka on an option. Who knows where you are with TJ Watt? I don't know how much more they would want to put want to put in the defense. Um, it could be a one year thing, and frankly, if it's a one year thing and it only costs them the 1.7 million against the cap next year, dead. Um, for a three and a half million dollar salary this season, that's not a bad move. So I, I don't think it, it's it's tanking per se. I do think that it's them harnessing uh, the the strength of their team. They made their front seven better, and the front. They, I'm guessing it's because they see their front seven as needing to be the catalyst of everything if they're going to go anywhere this year. Before we get out of here, I'm going to try to find uh, the Schobert contract details on over the cap i don't think they've posted it yet um i want to see how it all breaks down but before we get out of here let me just give you my quick rant we talked about the rant that i wanted to jump into at the top of the program i hate per minute training camp updates that you get on twitter <laughs> they are the absolute worst and i understand why why media outlets you guys do it 
Everybody does it. I get it. Fans don't have a lens into training camp. But honestly, man, I absolutely hate it, man. The way that people pick and choose. It was different when there was an hour and a half between Pittsburgh and training camp. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, it's just just bad. I mean, to get anything worth anything from them, you have to read like 15 dudes. Because everybody's looking at different stuff. Everybody's bringing their own personal bias into it. Guys that they want to see. Guys. You know, you could have a guy making like eight million plays and a guy writes Ben completes a nice ball to the flat. Who cares? Who? No one cares. Like that. Like that's. I really like Haskins front leg placement on that throw. I'm okay. just like, I, I look <laughs> at these and I'm, I'm like, dude. He's a pro. I'm, I'm just like, dude, this is meaningless. Yeah, this it's... is a way to just have some content. It's kind of a stunt or a floss. Like, yeah, I'm here. I'm getting some content that you regular fan bozos can't get. So just that's like whatever, dude. I, I don't, I, I, I don't, don't want to throw stones it. in the glass house or anything, but um, I, I respect the work that people are doing. It, it's for me, and I'm, I'm hoping this isn't going to come off too much as get off my lawn. But for me, <laughs> I don't think they. It, many of them are not doing it because they legitimately want fans to do it. They're doing it because they want to show people that they're there. Yes. Exactly. And a lot of these people, they, they're they not credentialed. They're literally doing this from the stands. It's yes. not like, it, it, if that's, again, if that's your thing, that's your thing. Hey, I, I built a career on on that mentality. Um, I'm not trying to, to downgrade it. I just, I, I think one, I, I'll fully admit some of this is I'm, old now i don't want to do what they're doing and i'm not going to and two it's the really young ones um who are doing it to a level where it's just obnoxious it's like facts the stuff that you think that you're seeing you're seeing it from a great distance and you're throwing out terminology uh for the sake of throwing out terminology you can't possibly be viewing everything that you think that you're viewing um you're you're providing the wrong kind of information for a fan base that absolutely wants it, but it drowns out the, the real analysis. And it creates, a, a, in my opinion, at least, a, a very strongly false perspective of a lot of what's going on. Absolutely. Um, it's, it's misinformation. If our society has ever learned what that meant, it's this one from the last two years. There, there's too much bullshit that goes out on social media that people take as fact. And I know that just through the massive amounts of arguments everyone's gotten into about the, the, the second coming of Alan Fanica and Kevin Dotson. You know, we, we talked about that before. Dotson is is not I, – I like Dotson, okay? You can go back. back If you want receipts, I'll show them to you, Lance. I, I was the only person that was saying Kevin Dotson's going to be the best player of this class. He's good. I really liked him as a rookie. I liked what, what they're doing with him to develop him. He's not a, a plug-and-play first-day guard, okay? He needs to develop. But the problem is, because he has a nice PFF score, everybody assumes that Dotson is this extremely high-level player to the point where they're, they're calling him a pro bowler. He's been on the field for six games, okay? This is the same group of people that's making Presley Harvin into a Hall of Famer right now. And I'm not making that up. I've seen Max. people say that. It, it's... One person uses one superlative that sounds really cool, gets a lot of likes and retweets. They get all excited. So then somebody else has to go on top of that because they can write it more creatively. They can add more to the legend of them. And by the end of it, the only place that you can go is the damn Hall of Fame for a punter. Okay, There's like one of those. (laughs) And now it's this rookie who's played (laughs) one preseason game. Presley guy. they're, They're not even kidding. It's it, it's like God. Yeah, that, you can't put this much into it, okay? Yeah. And it, if you do, that's fine. Do me a favor though, and I, I'm being completely 100 sincere about this. If you want to put all your stock into the Twitter reports that you're reading, that's great. Do not blame Mike Tomlin in Week One when it doesn't look like the way that they're describing it, okay? Facts done. That's it. Yeah, I mean that's my rant, and you know I just I I've just at 51 years of age. I know I don't look 51. Hopefully I don't. Um, I've learned to just not pay attention to that stuff. And I just had to rant on it because it's absolutely meaningless. But before we get out of here, what do you guys have for the fans at Steelers Wire? What should fans look for? 
Oh, I don't know. I've, I've uh, with Steelers playing on Thursday, I spent all of my time um, Friday and Saturday on the other teams, those other teams that, that play in the NFL. Um, I, I don't, I, you know, I don't know what Kurt and Allison have today, but uh, I'll tell you what, we'll, uh, we'll check it out. Um, or you could just go there yourself for me and let me know what's on there. <laughs> I've got a lot of other things I need to go over here. Um, hey. It's going to be great though. I know that I, I, we love this time of the year. Before we get out of here, I want to say big up to Felicia. Hey, Felicia, been wondering where you've been at. Uh, we would get to your comment, but we're at the end of the show at the hour mark. Felicia, make sure you jump in earlier and, and give your comments, and we will definitely get to them. Uh, but, nah, there hasn't been much with Stefan Tewitt. I wouldn't worry about that. Um, the only issue with Stefan Tewitt and Hayward is they just got to stay healthy. Um, I mean, that's it. I mean, that that's largely one of the biggest things in training camp. Um, that people don't like to talk about because it's the obvious one and it's not definitely sexy is that health is all this. You're just trying to get to the finish line healthy so you can put your best 11 on both sides of the ball out there. But with that, I want to thank you, Neil, for your contributions. I know you're busy and you got to go back and do that stuff you talked about at the top of the program. But with that, listeners, we want to thank you for chiming in. As always, please tune in, tell a friend and subscribe.